Hello friends and welcome back to season five of the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren and I'm so thankful that you are here. This ministry exists to equip and encourage women in studying the word and to provide the space for women to build community with the word of truth between them. Today, we are kicking off our new study, Stories from the Wilderness, a study of the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. We are going to follow the narrative of this story through parts of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. We are going from Egypt to the Promised Land to Canaan, and I'm so glad you're here. For those who don't know, we meet live on Zoom on Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We have women from all over, and we'd love for you to join us. You can go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study for more information and to sign up. There's also a companion study book that goes along with the teaching, and you can purchase that on Amazon, and there's a link in the description below. The wilderness is often used to describe hard circumstances in our life. But as Christians, it's also a picture of our life here on earth. We've been redeemed, saved from the slavery to sin, and we are bound for the promised land, to heaven. But in between, we are wandering in a land that is not our home. But God does not leave us there to fend for ourselves. Instead, He walks with us, before us, and provides for us as we go. Today, we are setting up the study with information about how it's going to work, but also discussing one of my favorite parts of Bible study, context. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to our first official meeting for the world stories from the wilderness. This is a study of the Israelites journey from Egypt to the promised land. Um, this is one of my very favorite studies, and um, I probably say that every time, but there is just something so special about this study, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so um, glad that um, we are doing this together. Um, I want to start just with a little bit about um, how I do Bible study. For those of you who are new, um, I love inductive Bible study, which is a big fancy word that basically just means learning to study with your own heart and mind first. Um, it's really teaching us to use our brain as we are studying scripture and trusting the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus promised he would do in John 14, 26. Um, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance bring to remembrance all that I have taught you. The Holy Spirit's job is to teach us the word of, of Jesus, to teach us the word of God, and to help us remember what we have learned. And so even if we struggle to remember, um, and we always have the Holy Spirit in us ready and guiding us through that. Um, and we also, because we have him, we don't always need, I grew up thinking that I needed a seminary degree to write a Bible study, that I needed to study, I, I just wasn't given permission to study scripture on my own, that I needed a third party to help me. Um, but in Acts 14, we see Peter and John before the religious leaders, the most educated and knowledgeable people about scripture. And as they were teaching 
um, they were astonished. It says in Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What qualifies us to know the word of God is spending time with Jesus. Um, but that said, I also love the gathering of women around the word of God. Nothing builds community than having more, than having the word of God between us. And I know for some of us, we would love nothing more than to be sitting around the table or sitting around a living room together. Um, but I have found that what we get out of Bible study is what we put into it. And so it doesn't matter if you're doing this through a small group um, in person, or if you're doing this through Zoom with us on Tuesday nights, that God is bigger than anything and we can do not uh, box him in. So um, I really believe, so here's my other thing. Um, it's okay if you guys miss a week or two or three. It's okay if you don't get your homework done every week because I know life happens. I believe the promise in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that be that goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. God's word has purpose. And so when we're faithful to open it, he's faithful to use it. And so I want you to know that you are always welcome here. I'm not gonna make you like not talk or share if you don't finish your homework. I'm not gonna kick you out if you don't show up for a couple of weeks. I always want you to know you are welcome back into Bible study because I believe it is so important. And I believe that it stands on its own and I don't need to give you some requirement that you have to be here to make you show up. My hope and my prayer is that the word of God does what it's powerful enough to do. And that's to make you re return time and time again to gather with with other women around the word. Um, and that is where we start to see our lives change. I'm very excited um, about this book. Um, this one feels so different to me. It's been a dream and a labor of love. Um, but um, this one actually has a lot more content to it than the previous ones that I've published. And so um, I wanna kind of go through um, a little bit, just real quick on how to use the book. Um, in previous studies, it's been um, completely 100% optional. This time I would su highly suggest that you get the book to go with it um, because there are questions each week um, and the study plan all in there. Um, but there are actually questions to guide you each week. Now, I want you to know that those, the questions in the book are meant to be a springboard. Think of it as a diving board to kind of give you a foundation to kind of help set up. They're questions to get you thinking, to get you using your own brain. And so you'll see for each week on the divider page, it will have the scriptures for that week. So for this upcoming um, first week of official study, we have Exodus 12 and 13. And then you'll see um, Exodus 13 or 12, sorry, 12 and 13. So you'll see Exodus 12 and you'll see the questions for what does this say? What does this say about God? And then some specific questions for each one. And then you'll see 
a couple of blank pages. I want you to use those for however you take notes. If you're looking up definitions, if God lays something on your heart, um, that's why those are there. Um, I don't want you to look at the questions as a finish line, like I answered all the questions and I'm done, but more of a way to help guide you in going deeper on your own. And then after those couple of blank pages, you'll see the next passage, Exodus 13. Same thing, a few questions, some blank pages for your own notes, and then two pages for teaching notes. So that's where you can take notes during the teaching and two pages for group notes. So if you wanna take per requests um, from your group time, or if um, I know every time I get in my group, like these girls start dropping truth bombs and I'm like, I wish I would've heard that before I taught so I could have used that. Um, so that's where you can record all of those things. Um, you'll notice that they are not broken down by days. And the reason for that is I want the Holy Spirit to be your guide, not me. I want um, for if you are going and you just get to a verse and you're like, I got to stop right here and I got to meditate on this. Or you're running kids around and you got 10 minutes while you're sitting in car line. I don't want you to feel like you've got to get to a certain finish line each day. So um, it's kind of a work at, at your own pace. Um, there are two to three chapters per week. Now that is a little bit more than what I typically do. Like for John, it was one chapter a week. Um, for Psalm 119, it was just 24 verses a week. But because of the narrative nature of this study, um, two to three chapters in Exodus is not nearly as much as two to three chapters in uh, John. Um, so um, it still is moving slowly. Um, I love doing that because it really allows these truths to kind of sink into you um, and to really sink into your heart and sink into your mind in a way that we actually remember them more than if we're just flying by. Um, there is a map, yay maps, on page 18. And so this is, um, this is probably one of the, there are several um, thoughts on what the Israelites journey looked like. Um, this is one of the more popular route thinking. So um, you'll see, we'll use this to kind of track where they are as we'll see lots of cities and people groups named. And so we'll kind of use the map to help follow through. Um, on pages 16 and 17, there are lists of names of the character of God. Um, I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit, but this features very heavily in this passage. And then in the back, um, there's some place for additional notes. This was a note, one of um, actually one of my leaders gave me was to have a place where you could list the, the names of God and the scripture reference together so that you could find them a lot more easily. Um, and so you can kind of create your own reference guides in the back. So there's places for the names of God and scripture references, um, the miracles that we're going to see in the wilderness. And so there's some space back there. If you want to kind of keep some comprehensive list, you can do that in the back. Um, and then there's a fun recipe because I love food and that really is part of the inspiration behind feasting on truth is that I also love to feast on food. So um, there's a recipe for my roasted tomato soup, which is very good as we enter fall. Um, that's one of those things that I love. Um, I shared in the start here section of the book, um, this story of um, a few years ago, I was going to get a haircut after 
a much needed. It had been a long time. I had been kind of dancing around trying to find a new hairdresser and or a hairstylist. And um, someone had recommended this girl to me and I was so excited. I had been growing my hair out. I really had these dreams of like one day donating my hair. And so I didn't want much cut. I just wanted a trim. And so I'm talking to her and she's just kind of like, touching my hair, you know, like they do, like when you sit down and they're like, you know, trying to assess the situation, figure out like, what am I dealing with here? And her face kind of like, she made like a funny face and she's like, um, your hair is dead. And I was like, oh, okay, that's right. Oh, that's fine. You know, do whatever you need to, that's okay. Um, and trying to make, cause I didn't, um, want to like, I didn't really want to, um, like, uh, you know, let her know that she just like totally shook my world. And so um, we, she was very nice and she was so sweet. I still go to her today. She's, she is such a sweetheart and I love her. And, um, but she, I get in the car and I go to take this selfie. Cause you, that's what you do when you get on hair day, you take a selfie in your car after you get amazing hair. And what I saw was that she had chopped off four inches of my hair. And I started crying because I knew that that was just an outward symbol of what was happening inside of me. My family had been going through a really hard wilderness season. My husband was really sick and so much had been weighing on me. And I feel like um, that we are walking through that again. In fact, when I had decided to do this study, the world was looking like it was on the up and up, like things were going better. And then it all came crashing down again. And I knew God had put it in my heart to do this wilderness study now, because we are so weary. And we are walking through uncharted territory. In fact, um, Merriam-Webster defines, it's my favorite dictionary, defines wilderness as an empty or pathless area or region. The wilderness is uncharted territory. And I felt like that's what I was walking. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You don't know where to go. You don't know what, you know, you feel lost. There's no path to follow. And we are living in that right now. But as we will see, it is not uncharted territory to the great I am. It is not pathless to the creator God. He has purposely leads them into the wilderness and he often leads by way of wandering. He doesn't always lead us on the most direct route. And he leads us to the places that feel that feel pathless and feel empty because it is in those places that we are often poised to see God in a way we wouldn't otherwise. I always love to start our studies with context and it may seem a little um, odd to some of, some of us that we would spend so much time kind of going through the history and, and really understanding, but context is so, so important for us to first answer some of these questions so that um, we can um, 
because it helps us better interpret scripture. If we do not have the context for what's going on and answering those questions are on page 20 in the book. Um, they're very simple questions, but if we don't fully understand what's going on in history, who this is written to, the genre of the book, then we are at risk for misinterpreting what we read. Um, and so we are going to be studying through parts of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. And so for tonight, we're going to do the context just for the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, when we get to Joshua, um, towards the end of the study, we'll do another quick context because that has a different author and a different set of context um, answers. So the first five books of the Bible are often called the Torah. Well, they are called the Torah in, um, the, in, in Hebrew. They're called the Pentateuch in Greek. Um, they're often referred to as the books of the law. Um, they are largely considered historical books, but they also contain poems, songs, um, laws, and instructions. And understanding these five books are foundational to understanding the rest of the Bible. Um, there's so many things throughout the rest of scripture that reference back to these. And so we have to understand um, our origins. We have to understand um, who God is through these first five books for us to better understand, um, even, especially even New Testament books. A lot of times we think the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, um, but books like Hebrews, Romans, even the Gospels, Jesus talks about so many stories of Moses and Abraham and the law. And we have to have an understanding of those books in order to better interpret the New Testament. Um, and typically I like to study whole books of scripture at a time or whole, um, like this summer we did Psalm 119. So it was one chapter that's 176 verses. Um, but this study, um, I really wanted to focus on the narrative of the wilderness. So the wilderness story takes place over five, five different books. And so that's why we're going to study, um, we're going to pull out the stories, the story of the wandering and um, pull out some of those and, um, and really follow the Israelites as they go from Egypt to Canaan. So we're going to go from Passover to Passover. Um, the author is Moses, and it was written most likely during the years of wandering through the wilderness. Um, and there's not a specific period in history that most people can pinpoint exactly when this happened. Um, there, but many believe that it was during a time in Egypt called the New Kingdom. Um, during this time, there was a huge growth in the number of slaves and building projects. Um, and so um, many scholars believe this would have been, the wandering in the wilderness would have been about 1450 to 1400, 1405 BC. So that's what we are looking at probably for about the timing. Um, Exodus actually starts with the word and. It's something we don't see in our English, in our English Bible, but it starts and these are the names. Um, and it's a continuation of the book of Genesis. And so there is this um, flow and this understanding from, from Moses, from the author, from the people reading it, that you would be reading Genesis and move right in to Exodus. Um, the Hebrew name for this book is the Hebrew word for names. 
Um, but exodus um, is related to the Greek word and it means a going out. Um, and there are about 86 years between Genesis and where we pick up in Exodus. Um, the book was written to tell the Israelites not only who they are and where they came from, but also who their God is and for them to see his relationship with them. Um, I love uh, one of the commentaries that I use, the Women's Evangelical Old Testament Commentary says this about the theme of Exodus. It is God's own description of his attributes as well as the historical demonstration of unparalleled faithful love for the people he has redeemed. That's a God I wanna follow. Because what's interesting here is that Moses, as he's writing this, he does not paint himself as the hero of the story. The hero of our story is God. And we are gonna see that over and over throughout our study. So as I said, we're gonna go from Egypt, the Nile River, um, across the Sinai Peninsula and into um, Canaan. Now Canaan, if you look on your maps, is a small piece of land that goes between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jordan River and Dead Sea. And so there's this little tiny narrow strip of land that is Canaan. Um, and in the New Testament, it's called Palestine. It's that area there. Uh, this was an 11 day journey. And so we are gonna see in a few weeks in our study what happened, why it took a, uh, these people 40 years of wandering on what should have been an 11 day journey. Um, so I want to spend the next few minutes, I wanna just kind of go back and kind of catch you up on what's been happening. So we're starting in Exodus 12, um, but I want to kind of go back through Exodus 1 through 11. And then in your small groups, you'll um, kind of dive in a little deeper on that. Um, so even thinking back before Exodus in Genesis, um, God kept made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would number the stars, that he would be the father of a great nation. And so right off the bat in Exodus 1, we see Moses reminding the people of God's faithfulness to keep that promise. Um, in Exodus 1, verse 7, 12, and 20, Moses points to the fact that the people increased greatly that they were fruitful, that they multiplied, that they spread, and they grew exceedingly strong. And I wanna pick up in verse eight of Exodus one. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. 
In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so we saw at the end of Genesis where Joseph, um, if you can remember, he, um, his brothers sold him into slavery. He, over the years, worked his way up um, on this uh, to be the second in command in Egypt, um, just under Pharaoh. Um, God had given him a vision telling him famine was coming. And so Egypt was able to prepare and to create storehouses so that when the famine came, they had plenty of food. Um, the brothers and their father, Jacob, whose name later is changed to Israel. So that's why we have the Israelites, um, because they come from the 12 sons of Jacob. Um, the Israelites are, um, the brothers come begging for food. There's this, you know, thing with a hidden cup and a brother in prison. And in the end, everyone makes up, everyone hugs. Um, and Joseph brings his family to Egypt so that they are provided for. And he ends saying, when you leave from this place to go to the land that God promised our father Abraham, make sure you take my bones with me, with you. And that's where Genesis ends. And so as we move into Exodus, we see that God is fulfilling that promise. He is increasing them in number. And it says that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the Egyptians were in fear, in dread of the people of Israel. And so they deal shrewdly with them. They treated them ruthlessly. They um, oppressed them. They made their lives bitter. They made them do hard service. And we see in the verses following that um, Pharaoh is so scared that they are going to rise up against him, that he has makes a, a decree um, that all the new baby boys should be thrown into the Nile. And we see um, chapter two open with um, the birth of Moses. This is what the, where he is born into, this world where his people are oppressed, his people are being dealt with shrewdly and their lives are hard. And he should have been killed at his birth. But because of the faith of his parents, a Levite man and a woman named Jochebed, they hide him for three months in faith. They actually are, are called out in Hebrews chapter 11 for their faith in hiding Moses, that they, were, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And then his mother does something that I think took the most faith of all. She created a basket. The, the Hebrew word is ark. She puts him in this vessel and she floats him on top of the river of death on the Nile River, the river he is supposed to be drowned in. And she sets him forth and he's found by the daughter of Pharaoh. And he is raised in Pharaoh's house. Um, and then one day as an adult, um, he is uh, walk, he's walking around and he sees an Egyptian beating another um, Israelite. And um, he ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand. But then people find out. And so he flees to Midian um, and there he um, helps the family of a, pr a priest of Midian. And he marries one of her daughters. Her name is Zephorah and he has a son. And so he is off in Midian. And then it says this in 2, 23 through 25. During those days, the king of Egypt died 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That last verse, y'all, he saw them and he knew. He is El Roy. He's the God who sees us. He knows. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything you are walking. I get chills and tears in my eyes every time I think about our theme verse for this study. It's Deuteronomy 2.7. It says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. I tell this story in, in the book about um, how my graphic designer and actually even my editor, when they were reading through this and my computer and myself kept going, that's a typo. It says, he knows your Y-O-U-R going through this great wilderness. In fact, my computer underlines it with the little red squiggly line, like you messed up. It's supposed to be you are. He knows you are going through this great wilderness, but it's not a typo. God knows you're going through this wilderness. He knows your path. He knows the steps you're taking. He's not just sitting back and it's like, yeah, no, she's going through some hard stuff down there. No, he is watching you. His eyes are on you. He is walking alongside of you. He is walking before you. There's no step you've taken through this journey of the wilderness where he has not only been right by your side, but he's been one step ahead of you too. He's been waiting in every room you've walked into. He's been waiting on the, on the other side of every phone call you've received. He's been waiting every time that you have collapsed in tears. He has been waiting for you. He knows you're going. And because he is with you, you lack nothing. And that is the theme we are going to see over and over and over through this study. They lacked nothing because they had the presence of God with them and before them. And God decides he is going to deliver and redeem his people as he promised. And so he appears to Moses in a burning bush. He declares for the first time in scripture, we see the name Yahweh. It is God's personal name. It means I am. Like literally, that's it. I am, period. He is everything. He is above all. And he calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And after some haggling back and forth and a little bit of negotiating, um, Moses and his brother Aaron set out and they go to Pharaoh and nine times they go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he says, no way, Jose. And then God sends a plague and we are going to pick up the story um, with the 10th plague in our study this week. Our tendency, particularly when we read the Old Testament, um, is we read it like a collection of stories of what not to do. 
we look at that and we just love to point out the failures of Moses and the people. And we go, how could they still be grumbling? They literally just walked through a Red Sea. But, um, and we just, we're like, why can't they just trust God? Like, I don't get it. And I don't know who this quote originated with, but um, it's this, God has nothing to work with but sinners. We are all sinners and we all mess up. And so rather than us read this story going, what do I need to learn about how I need to, I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to go through the Red Sea and then be complaining about something else. Instead, we need to read this with a God-centered view. And this is the heart of the Feasting on Truth Bible Studies, is to read with a God-centered view of scripture. Because this book, this holy and, and sacred book of ours, is not a book about us. It's a book about him. And his character is written on every page. And I love the stories that we are going to study together because God reveals name after name after name to these people as they are walking through the wilderness. Because the truth is we're going to walk through wilderness. And the truth is we're going to trip up and we're going to falter and we're going to mess up. We're going to doubt and we're going to ask questions. But we have an unchanging God who is faithful to keep his promises, who is faithful to walk by our side, who sees us who is almighty, who is all powerful, who is working miracles. He's going alongside of us. And the goal is not to look at our circumstances. Our goal is not even to believe God can do what he says he'll do. Our God is to trust his, our goal is to trust his character. And so I want us to go through this study with that God-centered view. Uh, my friend Linda, who um, has just been such a gift to me throughout all of these studies, um, who is at the moment fighting for her life in a hospital. Um, the fact that she's not here tonight is really hard. <laughs> um, as we've been praying for her over the last few weeks, um, her group had um, told me that throughout our study of the book of John, Linda had developed this catchphrase. We would be reading and she would be looking at these miracles that Jesus was doing and, and the way he was acting and the boldness that he had to preach. And she'd go, who does that? Who does that? And I just can't help but read these stories in Exodus and go, who does that? And so I want us as we are studying and we are looking at the character of God. I want us to find the who does that moments where we see God act in a way that, that just seems crazy to us. Um, I dedicated this book to Linda in, on the um, just opposite the, the table of contents. I said, for Linda, your love of the word is contagious. And this study exists in part because of the countless mornings spent across the table from one another studying scripture together. You showed me how to find God in his word and I'm forever grateful. He makes a road through a sea. He brings water from rocks and bread from heaven. 
He makes slaves victorious against warriors. He makes a way for holiness to dwell in the midst of unholiness. He loves even when rejected. He forgives over and over and over again. Who does that? And I ended with her life verse, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. No matter what we face, no matter what trouble comes our way, no matter what wilderness we walk, we can have peace because of him, because of his character, and because he has overcome the world. I'm so excited for us to go on this wilderness journey together. It's really easy for us to sit here some 4,000 years later with the whole story before us and wonder why these people who were so desperate to leave would soon want to turn back. Why were they so reluctant to trust God, even with all the miracles that they witnessed? Exodus 6 gives us a better picture of the state of the Israelites' heart as we pick up the story this week. God tells Moses to go tell the Israelites what he is about to do for them. And in Exodus 6, 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. These were people who were so hardened and broken by the oppression, the ruthless treatment, their spirits had been broken. They had been under such hard circumstances for so long that they couldn't even fathom the message of hope. But I want to read to you the message that God gave to Moses to proclaim. And I'm actually going to read it from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. This is Exodus 2, uh, 6, 2 through 8. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as foreigners. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. He is the faithful, promise-keeping God. And these are the promises that he makes to them in these verses. He says, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh. I will bring you into the land that I promised your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and I will give the land to you. They will no longer be foreigners. And over the course of the next 10 weeks, I want us to keep these promises and his character in mind as we study, because we are going to watch and see how he faithfully does each one of these and how he faithfully reveals himself to them so that they will know who he is. Even when the people are unfaithful, he does not cease to be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your faithful love. God, for your steadfastness over our hearts, that you continue to walk with us and and pursue us and to go before us and to do all that you say you will do, even when we are unfaithful to do our part. God, thank you that your covenants are sure. Thank you that your word is an anchor of hope for our souls. God, I pray for each of us as we study. Lord, will your Holy Spirit invade our time in the word? Will you teach us and help us remember what we've learned? God, that we would not walk through this wilderness and forget who you are, but God, that we would be able to stand on the solid rock of your character, your unchanging, immutable character, and say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt who God is. No matter what is going on around me, no matter what is happening, Lord, in my life, that you are faithful. It's in your name I pray. Amen.